Of one thing I am certain. It's not enough for the devil to simply encourage and enjoy evil, but he is also in the business of building moats. That's right, moats. You think about a medieval castle where it's got this moat around it, this swampy bog where nothing can really pass. You see, in life there's a lot of things that we want to pursue, aspirations we have, but yet something is in the way. Something keeps us from getting there. Sometimes we find ourselves to be so discouraged by this that people never even ponder the possibility of passing across such terrible, miserable swamps. So thank you for joining me. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and I'm going to explain all of this, and we're going to have a great time. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for our opportunity we have to come together, even across the internet mysterious airwaves, Lord. We know that these things around us, they are but tools where we could interact with one another. Let us not be those who might fall into sin, but instead let us be encouraged. Let us be men and women who have a strong backbone, who stand up in righteousness as we declare what is good, true, and beautiful. Lord, we thank you for saving us, for dying for us on a cross. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. So to get our conversation started, let's talk about an interesting incident that was testified at the church last week. If you watched a little bird be hit by a car, what would your reaction be? You know, you, chances are, if you're a driver, you've probably done this at some point in time in your life. You've actually hit a little bird. But what would you do in this sort of scenario? Would you bother to even stop and see if the bird was alive? Would you even give it enough thought to remember it 15, 20, 30 seconds after the incident? A lady at our church, Sister Iris, she witnessed such an event. She was going along the road and she saw a car on the opposite direction hit a little bird. And to her surprise, the car after that stopped to investigate the little bird. And even more to her surprise, the driver picked up the bird which was flailing around, indicating it was indeed still alive. The driver then took the bird into their care and got back in their car and moved along. Now, this might not seem like that remarkable of a story, but it really is. Sister Iris, who is as sharp as she is anything, she looked at this and said, you know, that's actually how God is. God looks at us when the whole world would pass us by and stops to pull people out from the deep, miry clay. God, who is the very author of life, wants to pull us out of the pits of calamity when others would just move along. And using our illustration of moats, I realize that there's a lot of times where we wouldn't even spend the energy to think about helping a little bird. There's a lot of times we don't spend the energy to think about how we can really better the world around us to better our neighbor, our friends, our family. And instead, we just kind of go along with what the world wants us to go along with. We go along with the pathways that have been set up for us, and we never really want to cross the moats to do anything remarkable. And... This is where we really start to understand that God is not just a God of moral laws, but also of material laws. So, here this last week, in the comings and goings, you know, we have ideas that come to us in the shower. Maybe we're out mowing the lawn, driving along. You know, whenever we're doing some sort of ordinary task, a lot of times our mind is going through a lot of different ideas in the world. And sometimes we have a really vivid idea that just pops right in front of you. Well, this last week, I don't remember if I was, you know, bathing or out mowing the grass or whatnot, but the idea came to me that the devil likes to build moats. And it was kind of weird that my mind produced this thought, and it took me a moment to even understand what my subconscious had pieced together. But then when I was out in Walmart that same day, I saw a lot of young people who, quite frankly, their body language, it all communicated they're miserable, they're unhappy. And I saw that a lot of these 
uh, young ladies, they had started to dress themselves up as if they were men. They had cut off their hair. They had done a lot of stuff to start to make themselves look like men. And a lot of these young men, to contrast, they their body language, their posture all communicated, you know, I'm just here to be here. I don't have a lot of upward aspirations. I'm not really moving towards anything that is good, true, and beautiful. I'm just here to, to go along with what the world has set before me. And I realized when watching how these young people who are largely unmarried, we have a problem in our society where a lot of people aren't stepping into marriage. And again, we're going to be talking a lot about the family design today. And it's not something which is just a moral suggestion of God. It's actually a material law about how creation is made. But I saw a lot of these young people who really were living lives of misery. A lot of them had some obvious problems of, of addiction and things like that. And I realized no one would want to reach out and help these people. Like rationally, other young people are not going to be convicted just by nature to go out and help one another when they have been made so ugly to one another. In the same way that one might pass by a bird that's hit by a car, and you know that moat of apathy doesn't keep us, it stops us from investigating the bird, a moat of ugliness has been put between young people where they don't even want to help one another out. And a moat of ugliness keeps the older generations from wanting to help those who are young. And in reverse, the same motive, you know, apathy, bad character keeps those who are younger from wanting to help those who are older. So let's talk about what I mean when I'm really talking about these moats. And I know that basically should be the title of today's sermon. Get prepared to hear the word moat. The accuser, the diabolical one, Satan, the devil, the ancient serpent, he is one who hates all that is good and true. And the forces of hell, the darkness, they do not want people to escape from deep, miry clays. The darkness of hell takes pleasure in constructing bottomless balks, things that prevent people from pursuing things which are good. The forces of hell likes to construct elaborate blockades which hinder people from living with joy and righteousness. Now, this really can be a lot of things. For instance, those who are burdened with addiction, it's difficult to break out of that because you get pleasure from each hit. There are withdrawals if you actually step away from it. And then there are shocks to the body, you know, that create a moat that is too great for you to pass. There are things in between where you want to be in life and where you're at now that keep you from getting there. And something totally different, you find that there are other people who want to go out and do things, but physical pain keeps them from doing what they want to. Physical affliction. You know, it could be something like a illness, a disease, a, a bent spine, things of that nature. They keep people from finding joy and peace. People who are, are working age, they find that assignments, responsibilities, and opportunities at work can separate you from investing in things of more importance than money. You know, the, the urge, the, the call to go and work extra hours instead of spending time with your children. These things can create a moat between you and your family and who God wants you to be. We find that sometimes it happens where people have responsibilities at work and that hinders them from having good habits that actually keep their sleep and, and things of that nature in proper order. We find that largely in our modern day and age, a lot of times people are angry at one another um, who should otherwise get along, say for instance, people in the church who are arguing over music, where breakdowns in communication place a moat between people who should be loving one another as their neighbor. We also find that there are times when an abject lack of thought might prevent someone from getting the help that they need in the same way that a bird might be overlooked. And we find that there are a great many people who slip into ruin simply because a moat 
is there between them and the world around them. And let us be certain about this. These bogs, these swamps, these elaborate, you know, facades which come to get in the way, they do not bring joy to God, whose wonderful throne sits above all worlds, but instead they give pleasure to the devil and his miserable demons beneath all worlds. And of all things sinister and heinous, moats have been deliberately constructed around the family structure to prevent people from stepping into the goodness of their natural design. The sinister wiles of our modern era have replaced an emphasis on natural order with naturally felt desire. And let me just restate that because the language here is very specific. Our modern world has replaced an emphasis on natural order, in other words, the proper way that things function together and the proper way things are made, and has replaced that with a naturally felt desire. You know, order is larger than us. It's true whether we like it or not. But desire is something which is a little bit more finicky. You know, you might go out to, to the store and there's a new item that you didn't even know existed and suddenly you desire it. You might really desire to purchase something and then you purchase it and then you find out that, you know, a week later it's not that important anymore. You might desire to go out and do some activity with people and then when you get there it's not as fun as you thought. You know, desire itself is something which is always slipping through your fingers. It never really brings the ultimate satisfaction. And this is something which is unmistakably true. Our modern culture, which has emphasized your naturally felt desire over your natural order for which you were made, this has increased suffering rather than doing anything for the causes of fulfillment and lasting joy. And this is why I really thank my mind and the Holy Spirit convicting and revealing and teaching me, growing me wiser day by day, really brought this idea to me that, that moats are constructed in the world around us. Sometimes they're sinful, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're like back pain. Sometimes they're the willful desire to make yourself ugly so that you can rebel against the world around you to rebel against God. And as a kid, I never understood that. I didn't understand why older people would, would talk about something about bodily dress or bodily organization and say, this is a rebellion, this is shaking fist at God. I didn't understand that as a kid. But now that I'm older and I've lived through all of this and I've, I've watched people who are my age who have descended either further down this rabbit trail or they've, you know, started to turn away from that, I actually understand now that when God created Adam and Eve, they were created to be aspirational creatures, to do holy and excellent things. And that actually affects everything you do. You know, how you relate to cleaning and dusting your house, it matters. Whether or not you do the homework, it matters. How you present your person. And yes, we are aware of the fact that God did not make coats and say this is the official style for all creation but at the same time doing things which put yourself together well that make you more presentable that make you aspire higher that actually does matter and when people reject how god made them they reject the the aspirations of god they say we're going to pursue the most desperate elements of life that is something which is a rebellion against god's natural order Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 renders for us the institution of the family. And that says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. I want to emphasize that the family structure of Adam and Eve with children, 
That is not simply one of God's moral laws, and it's certainly not just a moral suggestion, but it's actually one of God's material laws. The biology of Adam and Eve is as material as is gravity. It's as true as the laws of nature, which produce rain, you know, the cycles that go from spring to summer to fall to winter, the same cycles of nature which feed the sparrows and make the crops grow. The biology of Adam and Eve, the family structure, it is a natural law of God. And we're now in an era where our culture is not merely rebelling against God's moral laws, but also against his material laws, against the natural laws which govern the fabric of creation. And one cannot appreciate motherhood without appreciating God's natural law. And in case you're wondering, this is actually our Mother's Day examination of Scripture. I know today is a little bit after Mother's Day, but this message is relevant to the world around us because our culture cannot even truly appreciate motherhood. And you see this with the politically correct language trying to take away the very concept of a mother, which is, is heinous. It's not going to, to make women's lives better. It's going to make them more miserable. Encouraging naturally felt desire over the truth of, of who God wants us to be as men and women, it, it degrades all of humanity and it creates suffering and chaos. It's evil. It sounds really nice when the, the sophists come together to, to scheme. You know, the deceiver is really good at deceiving. But it's ultimately not something which brings satisfaction and fulfillment. It doesn't bring the, the perfection that God wants for us. And today we're talking about natural law. A moat has been set up around the family where young people are not encouraged to have aspirations to take on the responsibility of marriage. Instead, they're cheered on as they embrace the most desperate and uninspiring aspects of their naturally felt desires. Men are encouraged to, to be more feminine and women are encouraged to be more masculine. Um, masculinity and femininity are both fully created in the image of God and they are necessary to the natural law of God. They are, you know, complementary. They are equal with one another in satisfying what it means to be made in the image of God. Those two images, that of the masculine and that of the feminine, they were created fully in the image of God. And it's beautiful how they complement one another, but yet our culture has forgotten that we are fallen creatures who naturally desire sin, and the deceiver takes joy in having a moat of ugliness prevent young people from even wanting to embrace and build one another up through the beauty of family life. We actually are in a time where people are encouraged to be ugly. And I mean that in every sense of the word, not just visibly ugly, though that is certainly an aspect of it, but also the ugliness of character. You know, lack of maturity, lack of meaningful skill, lack of responsibility, and ultimately a lack of righteous pursuit all come together to create a horrible bog that keeps young people separated from the goodness of the family. This mode of chaos, it keeps one another from pulling each other out of the mires of, of sin and chaos. You know, I'm, I'm in Walmart and we have all these jokes, you know, you can go to the website, you know, the people of Walmart, Walmart and kind of have some entertainment about what people dress but as a pastor, it's actually really sad. It's really sad to see people do stuff like this. Young, middle-aged, older, whatever age they are. Because it creates a moat where no one even wants to help one another. Political correctness has heavily contributed to this. You know, young men are taught they, they can't really interact with young ladies. And I'm not talking about stuff that's actually, you know inappropriate, but stuff that are natural ways that, that men and women interact with one another. Both women are discouraged from that and so are men. 
And out of this, great evil happens. It's a moat. But it doesn't stop there. I know I sound like I've talked a lot about young people, but now we're going to flip around to talk about how this has destroyed a lot of goodness on the tail end of things. You know, young people are there at the front end of, of building families, but on the tail end. You know, one of the most horrendous aspects of our modern culture is how the fifth commandment is rejected. Exodus 20, verse 12 reads, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. God's moral instruction is that we organize our lives in order to keep his natural laws. And as we have stated many times earlier, family is part of the natural law. It's part of God's material order. And nothing really breaks my heart and enrages me. It actually makes me mad to see how many there are that neglect to take care of their elderly parents because something is not, you know, it's not convenient, it's not easy. Throughout my pastoral ministry, there's been several nursing home and similar retirement facilities where I've, I've been scheduled to be one of the regular pastors who comes and, and preaches throughout the year. You know, they kind of go through cycles and things. And there's a lot of people who are left to a state where their minds do decay because they don't have any meaningful stimulation. They don't have any meaningful existence. They don't have the, the, the beautiful characteristics of life, you know, the things which stir day by day. This is heinous. The fact that we have a massive industry in our world that's, that's meant just to take care of our, our parents and elderly, and even sometimes you know others who may not be parents or older in years, but they have disabilities and things like that. The fact that they're left to kind of be cast out of you know the beautiful side of society, that is, that's wretched. That's a, a absolute breaking of the fifth commandment. But in our modern society, our culture has built moats where people are encouraged to do this. God did not design us to do this. You know, I love how that reading from Exodus 20, 12, where it says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land. In other words, if you honor your parents and you take care of them, your days will be long. You know, there's a whole generational statement made there because it's showing that when parents are taken care of by their children, when you get old, you will be taken care of. It's part of the material order. But yet this is broken. So let's talk about what it looks like to actually cross these moats and do goodness in life. We're going to move now to talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and how she actually does something remarkable at the cross. You know, Mary is a creature. She's created by God, who is the author of life. She's also the mother of Jesus, who is fully God, fully man. It's a very interesting thing to think about. Mary is a daughter of Eve. She's a fallen creature, but yet she makes the love which God made her for. She was called and she was made, designed for this love. She actually perfects it in a really interesting way at the cross, and this is fascinating. So let's talk about Mary. Beginning in the Gospel of Luke, Gospel according to St. Luke chapter 2, we're told twice that Mary treasures up the circumstances of Jesus in her heart. When Jesus is a baby in Luke chapter 2 verses 18 and 19, we find that all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. You know, the events of Jesus' birth were filled with signs and wonders. And her task as a, mother, as a mother was not easy. The tyrannical Herod would issue a decree of death against all children of two years and younger. 
That forced Mary, Joseph, and Jesus to flee to Egypt. You know, there's a terrible moat that's placed there. It's not something like back pain or even an addiction, but there's a moat. There's something that has been put deliberately in place to prevent Mary from fulfilling her duty of protecting the life of her child. Something has been put there, causes chaos, causes suffering. And in this case, it's heinously evil. This moat is sinful. And to actually deal with that, we have to realize that in the fallen world, love is not naturally returned. You can go all the way back to Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, and see that the love that should exist between brother and brother, parent and child, it's, it's not naturally returned. It's not. We're fallen creatures. God alone makes the good. Since the fall, we do not naturally do good. It takes the grace of God, the provenient grace, the holiness of God to invigorate us. Yes, we were made in the image of God and we have that capacity, but we also have fallen and we now have an utter desire to sin. There's no limits to depravity. Well, Mary, she persevered through all that. She escaped with Jesus. And as she would raise him, a lot of mysterious things would happen. And for the second time, we find that she ponders things in her heart in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. And I want us to read this whole passage. It's 11, 12 verses. And I want us to see all the motes that Mary has that make it difficult for her to raise Jesus. Luke 2, 41 reads, Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to him. His mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in years, and in divine favor and human favor. So there's a lot of moats that are there. It's not easy. When your child is missing, you know, that's, that's a huge moat. When you find him and he's with the teachers, and the King James translates that as the doctors. This is the highest echelon of worldly knowledge about the scriptures and doctrines of the Jewish faith and well Jesus is there with them be like if you went to a amusement park and your your kid went missing and then you found them in the office of the the owner you know the one who is in control of the whole park and they're in there you know talking with them almost teaching them there are a lot of people who like this a lot of people who didn't it's a very anxious anxiety riddled moment and it's not easy for Mary to raise such a child. Not only did she have to contend with the moat of murderous ambitions against her son, but she also had to deal with the moat of peculiarity. Jesus' wisdom was amazing, and it could not be explained by conventional knowledge. Even at an early age, the Christ found himself interacting with the Jewish teachers and rulers. Some, like Herod, would want to kill him. 
Others, like those who talked with him in the temple, were astonished by his words. Now, when we find Jesus on the cross, we find Mary, who's had all these motes in her life, be put to the test of the most severe moat of all. And keep in mind, we're fallen creatures. People do not naturally cross the moats. In fact, people tend to turn away. That's one of the reasons why this illustration is so important, because the devil loves putting up things that will turn people away. It's part of the whole scheme of deception. We as fallen creatures, we do this to one another. People do evil like this all the time. We do it to ourselves. John chapter 19, verses 25, the second half of verse 25, reading to 27, it reads, Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. And when we look at this scene, let's put aside everything we've talked about so far. Let's put aside everything we know about people, fallen creatures, and let's only hone in on Mary and Jesus. Because right here we find the most serious of all moats. The chasm of death has drawn near to separate Mary from her precious son. She's a mother. She has the love of a mother. She has the love of an honest and noble mother who's actually going to persevere and love her child. Again, not always does that happen. But also now we have a really, really ugly scene. She has no power to take him from the cross and, you know, take him home to nurse him back to health and force the world to leave him alone. She has no power to do that. But yet she endures by his side. All she had experienced so far in all the different moats, it all now seems pale. For now the impassable wedge of death has come to steal her child away and to do so under the guise of lies, deceit, and abominable injustice. Yet in these final hours, Mary stood faithful by Jesus, crossing the blackest of moats to be with her son during his final breaths. We must understand that Jesus truly died on the cross, and Mary fully experienced death with her son. She experienced this. The death of Jesus on the cross was real. This evil, this wretchedness, this foul machination... It was the final moat for this mother. And being faithful to, de to the design for which she was created and chosen, she crossed it with an irrevocable love. And this is where I really want to emphasize God's natural order and natural law. Mary was not just created and designed for this in the immediate sense, though that's certainly true, but she was also created for this in the transcendent sense. When God created Adam and Eve, Eve and all daughters of Eve were designed to possess this love. The design of Eve is that she would be sufficient to stand with such irrevocable love. Irrevocable love as a mother for her children, but also as a creature loving the Creator. Mary does something which is absolutely remarkable. She is a creature who is standing by the Master, standing by the Creator, standing by the author of life. She is being faithful to the one who made her because Jesus, he is God the Son. He is the Word of God incarnate. What we find is finally a daughter of Eve being faithful to God in the way that they were designed to be. 
Mary doesn't understand everything. She doesn't have the power to create herself. And by that, I mean, she didn't give birth to herself. She can, you know, be someone who, who continues how God designed her and she can give birth to children and have that replication and that reflection of God's creative ability. But she couldn't create the human species as a whole. She couldn't speak the heavens and the earth into existence. She cannot provide salvation for herself or even for her son. But yet, she can be honorable in the position for which she was made as the the daughter of Eve, this one who was made to be noble, to be righteous, to be regal. She crosses this moat with irrevocable love, and it's an ugly moat. At the cross, we find the ultimate ugliness, the final exercise in hideous rebellion wherein God himself would be killed. Yet simultaneous to that was the perfect love of God, the master dying for the servant, the creator dying for the creature. We find the true love of God in conjunction with the true love of a mother. At the cross, we find a unique perfection between Mary and Jesus. For not only was the author of life displaying the love which motivated him to create, but we also find a creature perfecting the love for which she was made. Mary stood firm as the mother of Jesus, the mother of God the Son, and she persevered with dignity and love that must be acknowledged. In the immediate sense, she had perfected the love of a mother, but also in the transcendent sense of the human spirit, she had reached a point where she was really standing as God made her to stand. Genesis 1.27 reads, So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. As a part of the natural order and natural law, God wove into our design a unique ability to reflect his love. But yet, in our modern world, so many moats have fortified against people to keep them away from the goodness of God. Since the fall, this has been happening perpetually. But for Mary, she crossed that moat and she stood firm. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So we're going to wrap this up. I want us to think about how we can stand firm and pull our neighbors out from the deep miry clay. Let's close by saying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever. Amen. With that, God love you and have a blessed day.